This is A Disciple's Point of View, One Disciple's Perspective on God's Word. My name is Craig and I'll be your host today as we go through a myriad of topics related to Christianity. Hello and welcome to part two of The Gathering Storm in the series Tumultuous Times. Last week we talked about three things in particular that were signaling the soon upcoming advent of what we're calling the Tribulation Period. We talked about Israel being the super sign that God has given the world after almost 1,800, 1,900 years. God brought the nation of Israel back into the same land they were vacated from, brought back their unique language, and made the land thrive. We also talked about societal changes that are on the severe upswing, not so much that we've never seen them in society before, but that they are on the huge uptick in activity that was highlighted in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And then lastly, we talked about signs in the earth and the weather, that we have seen things on a regular basis that people call 100 or 1,000 year events. And it's become so regular that people don't even think about it. So this week I wanted to talk about a last sign that I would like to call the gathering storm. And this one is not so much a singular topic per se as it sets an environment for the entire world for a man that we refer to called Antichrist to rise to power. And that is the political landscape that we are seeing shaped in front of us. And as a bit of a disclaimer, this is not anything that is based on any one country's politics. Although it will be looked at through the lens of probably the United States of America, since that's where I reside, and also the Western countries, since that is what I have, as far as my culture, what um, I have in common with other cultures, if that makes any sense. Um, I haven't really studied up extensively on Russia and China as far as their cultures go and how they truly are in everyday life. I can only go by what I see in my own country through the lens of the media, etc. And how the West, um, that is to say Europe, Australia, and the United States, Canada, Mexico, has traditionally always been about individualistic freedom-style governments. As a matter of fact, in the United States Constitution, we have something called the Bill of Rights that enshrines these rights, or what are perceived to be rights given to people by God, which I do believe that is the case. Regardless of the fact, not all nations have the same idea. But I do want to talk about since the Western countries have largely been about individualistic freedom, that we are starting to see a massive trend towards collectivism. And I'm going to go through a couple of examples of that and illustrate why I think a movement towards collectivism will give rise to the Antichrist. So first things first, let's talk about a couple trends that we're seeing not only in the Western world, but in the United States. Probably the first one is a little something called hate speech. Now, this has been on the rise over the last 10 to 15 years as a topic in our culture, and especially in the United States, because more and more young people are starting to, I guess, bring to light to the fact that they are being bullied, which is nothing new. I was bullied back in the 80s. As a matter of fact, I mean, I was always the really tall kid that was extremely passive didn't like to fight, didn't like conflict. So, of course, I made myself a target. But that is being brought more and more to the conscience of the adults running the world these days in the 20 teens, I'll call them, uh, probably post 2010 is what I'm trying to say. 
And we want to start doing something about this because why in the world can't we treat each other civilly in civilized society? It's a good question. But I think the way Western nations are starting to go about it is probably not the best way in general. And one alarming trend that I am seeing is something that the United Nations put out called the United Nations Strategy and Plan of Action on Hate Speech. And the first sentence alone, it sounds great, but it also sounds terrifying at the same time. What it says, in response to current alarming trends of growing xenophobia, racism, and intolerance, violence, misogyny, anti-Semitism, and anti-Muslim hatred around the world, on June 18th, Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez launched the United Nations Strategy and Plan of Action on Hate Speech. The strategy recognizes over the past 75 years, hate speech has been a precursor in, to atrocity crimes, including genocide from Rwanda to Bosnia to Cambodia. So basically what they're seeking to do with this is they're seeking to head off everything in the past just simply by what people are saying. That sounds great. That sounds wonderful because, like, let's say, for example, um, probably the most glaring example is anti-Semitic speech, right? Just saying that the, the Jews are whatever, you know, put your derogatory term right here. So let's just head off at the past and let's make any speech of that nature illegal. Now, within the context of the United States of America, we have a First Amendment right to free speech, okay? And a lot of Western nations sort of adopted similar measures, but they aren't as absolute as what we see in the First Amendment of the United States. And now even this is coming under fire within the United States of America. Just on a microcosm level, I work in an environment uh, where I come into contact with a lot of younger people that are in their late teens, early 20s. And uh, there was one day there was this individual that was preaching on a street corner and he was saying, I believe, you know, talking about how gay marriage was wrong, et cetera, et cetera, that it was a sin before God. And this individual says to me, he goes, how is what he's saying legal? How can he legally say that kind of thing? That's hate speech. I had explained to this person. I was like, well, not according to what, you know, you go online, you don't see anything about that as far as within the Texas statutes. And I happen to live in the state of Texas within the United States. And this person was incredulous to that idea. He was like, it should be. It totally should be illegal. The problem with hate speech regulations is what constitutes what's right and what's wrong? Well, within Can Canada, there was an individual with the last name of Watt, Cott, W-H-A-T-C-O-T-T. -T. And I believe his the first name was Bill. And he found out the hard way that you can't say certain things about transgendered uh, politicians. He was saying that regardless of what this person wears, they're still their biological sex. And if this person repents, they can receive forgiveness from Jesus Christ. Well, he was forced to pay that person who he was saying that about $55,000 by a British Columbian tribunal. So already... Even if something falls in line with what your religious beliefs are, if you say it out in public, nowadays you may see a price leveled on that speech. Another disturbing trend is cancel culture. And the reason why I say cancel culture is disturbing is because basically we are punishing people for sins that were committed 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago. Back when we were stupid, back when we didn't know any better, back when the trend back 
during those times allowed for certain actions. But now we're judging past actions that were decades ago based on current trends. And I'm not talking about something that's blatantly legal or whatnot, like rape or something to that nature. I'm talking about just anything you can think of that is permissible now that wasn't permissible 20, 25 years ago. And there's several people out there that have been targets of this. You can go on Google, and I I did that. I, I went on there and I just said, hey, uh, cancel culture examples. And I found quite a bit. So I'm not going to bring up several examples here, but you can go to Google for yourself and you can check that out and just see what kind of a trend that is. Lastly, I want to talk about one of the authoritarian style trends that we're seeing in our culture is the uh, coronavirus COVID-19 lockdowns. Now, I understand that these were done largely to attempt to save lives. But while some states took a lot lighter measures, but were still cautious, there were other states that locked the state completely down. California probably is the most arduous example of that. As a matter of fact, I watched a video the other day about Grace Community Church and its pastor, John MacArthur, who talked about how they've been under constant assault almost daily. I believe since August, they've been fined weekly, rather. Every time that they open up, they're fined. And they're undergoing litigation right now because they're fighting for their First Amendment right, not only to peaceably assemble, but to practice their religion freely and to worship freely. And he highlighted there were two Supreme Court decisions here recently that benefited their church in general. But California has largely been on lockdown since last March of 2020. Whereas, say, Texas, where I reside, we locked down for about six weeks and then we relaxed almost everything except the bars to go out. And the bars have been restricted, but largely Texas is still open for business. So along with that authoritarian push within our culture, or I should say trend, we're starting to see amongst the young people, they want more and more to go to a collectivist style government. And that largely means socialism. And there is a nice quote that's out there, and I believe that it's probably really relevant to this. It says, politics are downstream of culture. So a lot of our politicians are starting to push um, towards a collectivist style or a more providing for everybody style government. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just the way that it's implemented is disturbing in the trend along with authoritarian trends that we're seeing is alarming within the United States of America and within the Western nations. And not to not be quite honest, the media seems to be very, very supportive of this. As a matter of fact, there have been some uh, pundits on certain news outlets that said that conservative outlets should not even have a voice or be able to build an audience. They should just simply, yeah, they can have their First Amendment right to speak and whatnot, but as far as being able to build an audience, I'm not so sure that Verizon, Comcast, or anybody else should really be uh, carrying messages of hate and or disinformation. And that brings up another thought altogether. Who regulates what's true information and what isn't? Now, it's one thing if we see an event and we all report on it, and we could verifiably prove or disprove what it is that's being reported on. But a lot of times these news stories have sources that, let's face it, the bulk of us will never, ever get to talk to. We may not even know who they are. So how in the world do we know that NBC News is telling the truth or if maybe 
Fox News isn't telling the truth or One American News or Reuters or whatever. We kind of have to trust them. So when they talk about they want certain media outlets to not necessarily spread disinformation, how do we know what in the world is true information and what isn't true information? That's an alarming trend going more and more towards an authoritarian direction and the control of the flow of information that seems to be championing and being championed by these media groups. Now, I know a lot of people will say that they're private companies and they could do what they wish, and that is true. The problem then becomes where government leaders are utilizing these media sources to push their agenda. As a matter of fact, without the media, politicians virtually have no way to talk to the people these days. Now, understandably, 100, 200 years ago, yeah, they had to do the same thing. They just had to rely on the press, and it was a lot more slow-moving. But now if the media is trying to control the flow of information and politicians utilize that same media flow, it becomes an arm of the government, in my opinion. I know that legally speaking, that may not necessarily hold up, but in my opinion, it is still an arm of the government that's being used. And we also see social media coordination along with mainstream media coordination. Just a couple of weeks ago, the sitting president, the then sitting president of the United States of America was booted off Twitter. He was permanently banned for what they believed was incendiary comments that led to the Capitol riots. And that may well be the case. He definitely raised the temperature for sure. And there were a whole bunch of other media voice or I'm sorry, voices on social media that were purged off as well. I believe that Trump was kicked off Facebook. He was blocked out of his YouTube account for a week. And this wasn't only Trump. This He's just the prime example because he was the face of the Republican Party for a while. But you can definitely see a social media coordination against that particular flow of information. And it definitely goes along right with the mainstream media wanting to control the flow of information or, as they call it, disinformation. They wanted to keep that from happening. We also have to remember that Google CEO back in 2017 pledged to take steps to make sure that Donald Trump did not get reelected. And guess what? That happened. Speaking about Trump, the establishment doesn't seem to like it when an outsider comes in and messes with things. We can see that there are trends within the culture and society, such as the Great Reset. You can go Google that on the World Economic Forum's website or even the Great Green New Deal. There is a big push to go towards a collectivist style, socialist style government. And when somebody messes with that and tries to turn that direction around, it seems that all the forces within not only politics, but media and everything seems to go against that individual because it seems like there is a greater power at work. And I believe that America is undergoing a Romans one style judgment. Now, what do I mean by that? Romans one style judgment, what is that? Romans 1 verses 18 through 32 talks about when when people give up on God and throw him out of the culture, God shows them what steps starts happening as a result of that. And in a judgment, he gives them over to a debased mind, a depraved mind to do things that ought not to be done. And I believe since we have we have actually even within these decisions given within the Supreme Court of the United States. Since 1962, we have made landmark decisions such as kicking prayer out of school, um, kicking the uh, mention of the Bible 
out of school, um, making abortion legal, making gay marriage legal. We have kicked God completely out of the public sphere, and he is giving us over that to which we've always wanted, and that is a government and morality free of God himself, which leads right into the Antichrist and his rise to power. Now, why do I say that? Well, in Revelation chapter 13, it goes into basically how the Antichrist will seize control of the entire world whenever the tribulation starts happening. In Revelation 13, verse 3, it talks about how the whole world marvels at Antichrist and follows after him after recovering from a fatal wound. Verse 8 says, because of this, the whole world will worship him. In verse 15, those who refused to worship the image of the beast were killed. We're not really told what the image of the beast is. We can make an inferences. We're just simply told that there is an image of the beast and that whoever does not worship it is killed. In verses 16 through 18 of that chapter, talk about something that's probably the most popular thing in the book of Revelation that's talked about, and that is the mark of the beast, 666, or you probably heard it referred to. Nobody will be able to buy or sell without it, which is interesting because in verse 15, it already says that those who did not worship the image of the beast were killed. So that would follow that pretty much everybody has to get the mark of the beast then. There may be some stragglers that get away and are able to go hide. Who knows? Scripture doesn't really go into that too much. But we've already set up, and in chapter 17 of the book of Revelation, it talks about how there were 10 kings that rose to power during this time, and they end up turning over all of their authority to the beast. So of 10 kings, or quote-unquote kings, but we could call them world leaders, 10 world leaders rise to power during this time frame. And this one person accomplishes all the stuff that everybody sees, and the whole world just marvels at him. And these 10 world leaders give all their authority to him. We now have a world leader that will kill people who don't worship his image and force people to get a mark to buy or sell. Do you see now why I say that the whole world going in a, an authoritarian and collectivist style government is leading to this point? It is an irrevocable point of no return. And we are vastly headed on that road very, very quickly. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great to confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process, if you will, to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart. By simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. 
And now I confess you as Lord. Please take control of my life, and I want to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That's all you need to do. And your life will change. Your life will change, not necessarily materially, not necessarily in terms of the world, but your life will change as far as your relationship with God. And you can know for certain that you're saved. The Apostle John wrote that when he was pinning 1 John. He says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. If you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life right now, I would love it if you would contact me, but don't worry, I'm not going to ask for any money or to have you join any organization or anything like that. I just want to get some helps available to you to help you grow in your faith and to start this journey with the Lord that you've started on. Or if you just want to contact me for any reason, for comment or commendation or whatever, I am on two social networks. One is Twitter, one is Minds, M-I-N-D-S. And the handle is the same with both. It's Disciple P-O-V, that's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-P-O-V. I'm also on email, the same handle at gmail.com. I would love it if you contact me and I look forward to hearing from you.